Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is a really convenient way to develop your fluency in English by talking to native speakers online. To claim your voucher worth 100 italki credits, just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. This episode features a conversation with English writer and comedian Ian Moore. And in this part, we talk mainly about mod, uh, which is a British subculture involving clothing and music. But before the interview, there is about a 15-minute introduction in which I explain a few things that will help you to fully understand the conversation. This podcast is for learners of English, so sometimes it's necessary to give support to my listeners in advance of hearing a natural conversation by explaining things in order to help them to understand it all. Uh, my 15-minute introduction to this episode is mainly an overview of the history of mod culture with a few other short explanations. If you want to skip the intro, just move forwards by about 15 minutes and you can just jump straight to the conversation. However, the introduction is there to help you to understand the cultural references, some history and other details in our conversation so that you can follow exactly what we're talking about and you understand it properly. Um, okay, so if, you, if you're not interested in hearing the background stuff, skip forwards 15 minutes. If you want the history and some explanations and a bit of support, stick with it. Okay, right, so that's my intro before the intro. And uh, now that this intro is nearly finished, I'll let you listen to the other main intro which is going to come after this intro, when this intro is finished, which is now. So here is the proper intro uh, after the jingle, uh, which is going to start as soon as I stop talking, which is right now. So that's it then. Here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there, welcome back to the podcast. So you chose to stick with the intro then. You chose to listen to the intro rather than skipping forwards like someone who's impatient or something. So good. I'm glad that you chose to listen to the intro. You made exactly the right decision. Well done you. Give yourself a little pat on the back for being just generally brilliant. So as I said earlier, uh, before the jingle, I said that uh, today on the podcast, I'm talking to Ian Moore, who you probably don't know, let's be honest. Um, he's he's well known back in the UK, but uh, you probably don't know who he is. He's actually quite a big guest, really, in terms of um, his profile. He may be one of the more well-known people I've had on this podcast. So that's kind of good, but you might not know who he is. Uh, so let me just tell you a little bit now. So he's a professional stand-up comedian. Um, also a published author. As a comedian, the Guardian newspaper described him as one of the funniest people in the UK, which is, you know, pretty good, pretty good review. He's also a published author and he's got um, books on Amazon and, you know, books that you can buy in, in good bookshops, which are also well rated. And also he's a mod from London. Uh, you might not know what a mod is, but uh, I will be explaining that and you'll you'll hear us talking about it. Um, Ian Moore is probably the best dressed man ever to appear on this podcast. He's very smart. He's always very smartly dressed. He's probably the best dressed man ever to appear on the podcast. He's also a professional talker, you could say, with many things to say. And um, you'll see that he's certainly able to talk in English um, and French as well to an extent, as we will find out, because we're going to talk to him about not only uh, just stuff in general, but uh, the experiences of living in another culture, um, learning a second language, and also many things relating to mod culture, which is a sort of important aspect of British culture, pop culture that you might not know about. Um, now, I first met Ian a few months ago. He was in Paris for a few days and he was the headline act at a comedy show where I was also performing. Uh, we got talking and our conversation was suitably rambling 
for me to consider Ian as a good guest for the podcast. And also, seeing him on stage, he was very funny indeed, and he has lots of fun stories to tell. Um, uh, And there are some specific things that I wanted to ask Ian, which I thought might be interesting for you, my audience, to hear. Um, And there are three main things. The first one is that Ian is a mod. He dresses in all the correct mod clothing and has done so for years. Now, that might not mean anything to you. You might be thinking, he's a mod. What's a mod, Luke? What is a mod? And what do you mean mod clothing? Well, if you are asking yourself that question and you don't know what a mod is, then good. That's one of the reasons I wanted to uh, talk to Ian uh, about that on this episode. Um, I'm going to talk to you a bit about mod culture now. Um, in order to give you a sort of foundation so that you know what mod really means. And then you'll hear me talk to Ian himself about this in a bit more detail. But to give you a sort of basic introduction to mod culture, let me now tell you about that. So mod culture is quintessentially English. Um, Basically, mod is a fashion style, a way of life, and a whole subculture of its own. And it's uniquely English, I think, Uh, although it sort of takes its influences from lots of other places in the world. um, It's definitely associated with the UK, probably England, certainly London. Uh, Now, mod is one of the first genuine youth subcultures of the modern era. Nowadays, there are many, many subcultures, for example, you know, punk and skinhead and emo and hippie and raver and indie kid and rocker and metalhead and skater and, you know, lots of different types of people, lots of different types of youth movement. There are so many, in fact, that it's it's almost kind of become meaningless. Um, it's so varied and so diverse to the point that these subcultures don't really even mean anything anymore. Um, But back in the late 1950s and early 1960s, in the kind of post-war period, when the baby boom generation were sort of growing up to become teenagers, in the late 50s and early 60s, there weren't really many youth subcultures. Um, Everyone basically dressed the same, um, except between different social classes in society. But certainly young people just basically dressed and act and acted like adults okay so uh young people hadn't quite developed their own it, uh, identity as young people at that point but then in the post-war period young people became more independent and they developed their own alternative cultures which were separate and different from mainstream lifestyles and certainly from the the cultures of uh, the older generations. So young people kind of became more independent and they began to associate themselves with these alternative cultural movements as an expression of their individuality, particularly in the form of the clothes that they wore and the music that they listened to. And mod culture first became well-known in the UK probably as the result of a story in the newspapers about rival gangs of mods and rockers fighting each other on the beach in Brighton in 1964. So this is a well-documented event, and it's even in a movie called Quadrophenia that you might have seen. Uh, This is when the mods and the rockers uh, were fighting with each other on the beach in Brighton. Okay, So the mods and rockers, these were the two main youth subcultures of the time, and they hated each other. They were rivals. The rockers wore leather jackets. They had their hair quite long in a sort of rock and roll style, uh, and they rode motorbikes. Um, they listened to rock and roll music. The mods, on the other hand, were sharply dressed in well-fitted suits and ties. They wore smart leather shoes. They had a particular haircut, a bit like the Beetle haircut, but a bit shorter. And they rode Italian scooters. And they listened to modern jazz, black American rhythm and blues music, or Jamaican ska. Uh, And so the rivalry between the mods and the rockers came to a head in the well-documented fighting that happened on the beaches in Brighton in 1964. The fight between the mods and the rockers was all over the newspapers and it shocked everyone, causing a kind of moral panic about young people. At that time, it was the equivalent of something like the London riots of 2011. Most people couldn't really understand the violence and it was considered to be a sign of the breakdown of society. It was also the first time that most people became aware of the mod movement. Since then, 
mod has drifted in and out of fashion. Although, if you ask a mod, they would say that it's always strictly in fashion. But generally speaking, mod has kind of drifted in and out of fashion. It went away in the early 1970s uh, when it was replaced by other things like glam and uh, soul boy styles and the skinhead movement and things like that. But it was revived again at the end of the 70s and in the 1980s. And then again in the 1990s. Um, and it's still um, kind of underpins a lot of the uh, styles that you see in British clothing brands uh, that you might find on the high street. A lot of those things are very influenced by mod uh, style. So being a mod is a way of life um, and it revolves mostly around the clothing that you wear and the music that you listen to. But there is a certain philosophy which underpins the movement too. And that seems to be based on a certain on, on certain kinds of European existentialist thinking and a kind of open-mindedness to outside influences combined with a great attention to detail in clothing choices. Um, so in order to identify a mod, in order to spot one when you're out and about, you need to be aware of the, all the right details in the person's clothing, basically. It involves a certain type of suit cut in a specific way, worn with specific details, um, certain brands, uh, types of shoe or types of coat, and a particular haircut. Uh, the most famous mods are probably people like the musician Paul Weller, who was in the, the group The Jam. Um, also groups like The Small Faces and The Who, particularly the early period of The Who. And these days, um, someone like the actor Martin Freeman, who you know from the Sherlock TV show, and also he was in The Hobbit. Uh, Martin Freeman is also uh, someone who, in his free time, when he's not acting in a movie or something, he likes to wear uh, mod clothing and he dresses in a mod style. So while mod culture borrows from many other cultures, it is very specifically British, and therefore I think it's worth exploring on this podcast. So first of all, Ian is a mod. And we'll talk about that. Secondly, Ian lives abroad, specifically on a farm in rural France, despite being a very well-dressed city boy from London. And he has lots of stories to tell about this, which and those stories form the basis of several books which he's written and which have been published. Both of those books tell funny, true stories of his life as a mod living on a farm in the French countryside. They're well-reviewed on Amazon and are definitely well worth a read. They're amusing, they're not too challenging to read, and they're full of very entertaining little anecdotes and tales of his double life as a comedian working in London and a farmer in the French countryside. Um, I thought it would be interesting to hear him talk about that on the podcast. And if you're looking for appropriate books to read in English, then I really recommend these ones. Uh, they're also available as audiobooks, uh, read out by Ian himself. So if you're looking for good books to read in English, then I suggest these two books written by Ian Moore. The first book is called A la Mod, which is a kind of a play on a French expression. That's à la mode and the second one is called c'est modnifique which again is another joke based on a french expression um so you'll find links to uh those books on the website uh where you can check them out so that's the second thing he's uh, an author who's written some amusing things about life as a mod on a farm uh, and so he's got some funny stories to tell and thirdly ian is a professional stand-up comedian in fact the guardian newspaper uh, which is one of the most well-known newspapers from the UK, the Guardian newspaper, um, have described Ian as one of the country's top comedians. So Ian is one of the top comedians in the UK, uh, which may account for why he's able to write such funny stories in his books. Um, Ian has been performing in the UK professionally for about 20 years, and he's travelled all around the country doing big gigs everywhere, including at London's best venue, the Comedy Store, in Leicester Square. Um, Ian has also performed in many locations around the world, so naturally I wanted to find out all about his comedy career as well. So all in all, 
Ian Moore is a great guest for this podcast, and we had a very enjoyable rambling conversation upstairs on my terrace on a very sunny morning this week. So this is probably going to be two episodes because we talked for over an hour together. You're listening to episode one. Now, um, I understand that this conversation might be a tricky episode for you to follow because our conversation includes quite a lot of tangents and references to things that you might not be familiar with. So at the start of our chat, uh, we talk about the view from my terrace, including uh, the view of the Sacre Coeur Basilica, which we can see. That's uh, a kind of a big church, kind of a cathedral, a basilica on the top of the hill, and we can see that. So we talk about that. Then we talk about how Ian met his first wife, in fact, on the steps of the Sacre Coeur when he first moved to France. And then we go on to chat about his first experiences in France and why he fell in love with the country. Um, For example, he talks about buying a vinyl copy. That's a, a record, an LP record in vinyl. He talks about buying a vinyl copy of an album called Complete Madness, in a French supermarket in Nice. And uh, that's a significant moment because you should know that Madness are a band which has a large following among mod and skinhead uh, people. So obviously this was an important moment for Ian that he bought um, this Madness album in a French supermarket. It it must have been an impressive moment for him. Um, And then we talk about where Ian comes from and how he describes his accent. And basically... He's got a typical southeast, a kind of London accent. Some might call it Cockney. Other people would call it Mockney because it's like a mock Cockney accent. Um, even so, he's basically got a London accent. Even though, as a child, he used to live up north in Blackburn, and also he lived for a while in the east in Norfolk. But he spent most of his time in London, so he's basically got a London accent. Uh, we also discuss his level of French, and then we move on to talk about being a mod and what that means, including quite a lot of uh, specific descriptions of his clothing and mod style in general. So watch out for some vocabulary to describe clothing in this episode. Uh, But now, without any further ado, and without any more introducing, let's join the conversation with Ian Moore, and you will first hear us talking about the views of Paris, which we can see from my terrace. So, here we go. Good, isn't it? And, and to see cars parked higher than we are is slightly bizarre. Yeah, that uh, is always strange. And I've got the, the Sacre Coeur over there. So I met my wife uh, on the steps of the Sacre Coeur. Did you really? Well, we arranged to meet. That's not where I first met her, but we, we'd, ha- we'd split up for a couple of years, so it must have been 92, 1992, we arranged to meet there. And... Um, so that's because she was a, a teaching assistant in Chateau. So we met on the steps. Mm-hmm. Hadn't seen each other for about eighteen months, and then I, I went to live with her in Chateau. And the idea was that I would live with her in Chateau, but she uh, she kicked me out after about a week. Really? <laughs> yeah. She couldn't live together. <laughs> no, she couldn't stand me at the time. So she effectively deported me from France, <laughs> and I went home. And what? And and I was telling everybody I was coming home. And I did it really sort of drunkenly over the just a public phone box. I rang a mate mm-hmm. just before I got on the ferry, and somebody on that ferry fell overboard, oh and gosh. they assumed it was me because I, I then turned up, went home, and just didn't come out for about four <laughs> days. <laughs> Nobody knew where I was. <laughs> so my mates were mourning my demise after my wife had chucked me out of France. <laughs> so they imagined that your your wife had chucked you out, and you just. Yeah, jumped that's off, it. Jumped that's off it. the back of yeah, the ferry. If I, if I can't have Natalie, I'm jumping off this ceiling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Happy days. Yeah. So you've got kind of. Um, obviously, you live in France now, but it seems that you've got some history with uh, France too, because you moved here what, so ten years ago now? <laughs> moved here eleven and a half years ago on my wife and my son's birthday. They they share the same birthday, which is frankly weird. Mm. Um, so that was 4th of January 2005 Okay, we moved here um, but I'd always wanted to move I mean I first came to France in 82 on a family holiday and we were down south and I just, I just loved it I just loved France there was something about it what, what about it do you think? <sighs> I don't know I think it may have been I think it's little things. It's little things like supermarkets just felt so exotic and, and different. And I mm. you know, actually in a Prisunique in Nice, I bought the vinyl copy of 
complete madness oh. when, I went, when I was 11. And those kind of things stick with you. I just thought, yeah. France is great, you know. And, and so we came back every now and then, a couple of school trips. And then I met my wife in 88, and we came here together for the first time in 1990, her uncle's wedding. Mm-hmm. And that was a big wedding. There was about 300 people there. And I sang at the wedding. Which is terrifying. How did that happen? Well, I was kind of lied to, basically. I was told that at French weddings, everybody does a turn. It's a bit like X Factor. Right. All right. And so I I was told to prepare something. (laughs) So it ended up just being me and two other people. (laughs) I felt conned by the whole experience. You were conned into performing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I did Elvis Presley's Love Me Tender. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Which people still talk about to this day. Really? Yeah. Do you sing then? No. All oh, right. I'm on since. Just once. Didn't sing before either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, you end up doing these things for, and, and you just don't know why. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's great that you, uh, you live here now because uh, obviously it was something you wanted to do for a while. But um, so let me just ask you a few questions about you just sort of to establish things like, what your accent sounds like, because my listeners might be thinking about that. <laughs> what is that? What is that? I can't <laughs> understand. Um, so where are you from? Ian? Right. See, the accent thing is quite difficult. So I'm going to take you on a tour. If you, if you don't. I was born in Blackburn in the north of England. Oh, right. There's no trace of, uh, no trace of that. Blackburn no. accent. So you see Blackburn, they talk like that, you know, and they really stress their eyes and, and the vowels. That's the Blackburn accent. Now, we moved out of Blackburn when I was seven. We moved to Kings Lynn in Norfolk. And, oh, yeah. And I was beaten up on the first day at school for having a funny accent, which yeah. is ironic coming from Norfolk people, frankly. But you don't, again, you don't have a Norfolk accent either. No, they, they talk like that, don't they? And uh, they, they kind of country accent, which I developed very quickly. Yeah. And then we moved to, to Horsham in Sussex, and I was beaten up on my first day at school <laughs> for, for having an East Anglian accent. So now I can just wherever I am, I tend to it's it's a non it's a non accent, but I'll pick up little bits very quickly. If mm. I stay in for Paris much longer, I will sound like Pepe Le Pew really? after a while. Just get the, the yeah, just just to fit in and not get beaten up. Just the, you'll start speaking exactly. Like this. You know, it's very easy. <laughs> but I think your the accent that you normally have is a sort of a sort of estuary English kind. It of is. Uh, it is. It's a. I think it's called Mockney. Mockney, yeah. It, it's Mockney. It's not real Cockney. It's born within the sound of a Michael Caine film playing somewhere. <laughs> that's, I think that's the definition of it. It's actually quite, quite difficult to qualify as a genuine Cockney, though, isn't it? Because you've got to have been born... Within it's the, within the sound of Bow Bells. Right. Which is, is East London. Just a church in East London. If you can hear those bells, which is very specific. Mm. You know, there's only about four real Cockneys, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since they closed the hospital I down know, in yeah, that area. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Kids being born in kitchens, exactly. four people just, per year. Just, they're playing a CD of the Bow Bells just to make them qualify. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, do you speak French? <laughs> do uh, well, yes, and yes, and no. I do. I I do speak French to quite a decent level, but I don't have any confidence in my abilities at all. Mm. And because my wife is is half French and and my kids, well, one's English and two are French, Mm -hmm. but they're all fluent and they're all fluent without an accent. Right. It's very easy for me to hide and it's also very easy for them to jump on any mistake that I make. And the French are just rigorous with this, aren't they? I mean, you start a sentence and they're immediately going, well, no, that's the wrong gender and no, that's, that's a different ending because of... Because of that, and you never ever get to the end of a sentence because mm. you've forgotten why you started it in the first place. It's just there are lots of things that we can get wrong, like as you say, the gender and the fact that the gender has to be matched in the adjective, yeah. and other words also have to take the gender of the noun, and all that conjugation. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I don't get half of it. I just, no. I just don't get it. And the thing about because I'm a stand-up as well, this is where the confidence thing comes in. Is that you know, if you're on stage and you're talking and you can see that the front row don't get what you're doing at all, inside you're, you're not panicking as such, but you're going, right, I need to replan this, I need to go in a different direction. Well, it's a similar thing with, with a conversation. If I'm talking to somebody in French and they're looking at me like, I don't know, like a budgie looks in a mirror in its cage, like, what yeah. on earth is going on here? Yeah. You, you start panicking. So I start stuttering and sweating, <laughs> faking heart attacks and just open the conversation will end. 
I mean, I pride myself in how I look. I, I kind of, you know, affect this air of suave responsibility. And, it, and then I open my mouth and I'm just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure half of my kids' friends think I'm a mute. That it's You mentioned your appearance. It's probably worth uh, pointing out. And I wanted to talk to you about this specifically. So... You're a mod, Ian. I am. Um, I'm sure you already knew that, but... Um, <laughs> it's nice to have it repeated. Yeah. You're definitely a mod. Now, uh, my, my listeners probably don't know what that means. No. So you're going to have to explain what a mod is, what it means to be a mod, uh, what mods look like, why they exist. Okay. The whole thing. All right, then. Well, the, the, your listeners will probably have seen images from the 1960s of fighting. Fighting in the UK, kids, not kids, but teenagers, young adults, fighting on beaches. And it was the mods versus the rockers. And the mods were in parkers, uh, the rockers were unwashed, heathen. You can tell the difference. (laughs) And the, the, see, that's the famous image. That's the iconic image of what a mod is. But that's not proper mod. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's what mod grew. Mod was a youth culture, but it grew out of modernism. It grew out of. Uh, jazz cafes in the late 50s in Soho and the the philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre as well in that we have our own personal responsibility condemned to freedom I think he said but it was the first generation of youth if you like Mm. that were making their own choices so youth cultures became part of that and mod was very much at the forefront of that now I can't sit here as a middle-aged bloke and say I'm part of a youth movement (laughs) so I just with me what I liked about mod is is there's a kind of philosophy there in that it's what what they've done it's a very English subculture in in the way it looks yeah but what they've done is they've magpied from other cultures around the world things that they like mods like you've got the Italian scooters you've got um the French Cafe Society uh, and the the cool cigarettes and smoky cafes and stuff and like the that. The existentialism. The existentialism and trying to look more intelligent than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Black American soul music. You've got you know they've, ma- they've like I say they've magpied things from all over to create this image that is actually now considered very British. Yeah. But I like that philosophy. I like that kind of. I I consider myself as quite an international person. I don't you know, following Brexit and all of that, and the world seems to be getting smaller, I don't see myself that. I see myself as very much a European, very much international, and I think mod actually fits in with that really well as Mm. a a philosopher. Mm. It's very difficult to pin down. I tried, I get asked this a lot, um, and I try to pin down my own definition of what mod means, and I boiled it down to this, that it's, it's macro tolerance, micro intolerance. Okay? okay, so you can be black, white, Chilean, lesbian, transgender, Muslim. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. That's not what I'm going to judge you on. Yeah. But if you're wearing a leather jacket with the sleeves rolled up, we are not going to be friends. <laughs> that, so that's the micro intolerance. That's the micro intolerance. And macro tolerance of like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, yeah. where you come from. Yeah. Okay, so... So it's a lot about style, then, is it's it? It's a lot about style. Specific little style. Very. This is a very modern thing. It's, a very, it's the attention to detail. Yeah. It's the, it's the the specific attention to detail. It's like, you know, if you've got a suit, mm-hmm. do you have do you have one vent up the back or do you have two vents? And how long is that vent? Is it six inches or is it eight inches? You know, mods know the difference between yeah. these things, yeah. and you can't yeah. walk into a room full of mods with a ten-inch vent. Right. You'll be thrown out. What about two 10-inch vents? No. no it's flapping about. So you don't do the double vent at the back? No. Uh, I have jackets with double vent, but it depends if you've got a three-button front or a four-button front. Ah, okay. And a, and a double pocket. <laughs> so it should be four buttons with a the, with the double I, vent? I like a four-button. I like a four-button with a double vent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's the difference then? Why is that important? Just simply the way it looks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, what's a, the, what it, no, it is because what it is, it's, a, it's attention to detail. You've 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 done it right. You know, you haven't just thrown on a jacket and gone, "Oh, this will do." Mods never say this will do. Yeah. You know, the, the 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 very specific nature of a piece of clothing means so much mm. to a mod. Mm. Cloth buttons or uncloth buttons. It's just everything is is, yeah. is minute. Yeah. When I. Um Met you first. We were performing a comedy show just up the road. Yeah. And uh, everyone, you know, all the other comics were there in their sort of slobby clothes, T-shirts and shirts <laughs> and things like that. You turn up in a three-piece... Frock coat. Is it, is it a tweed Edwardian frock a coat. A tweed three-piece. Edwardian three-piece suit with a frock coat. Yeah. 
Um, you probably had something in the pocket. Oh, yeah, a flounce. A flounce. <laughs> I had a flounce. <laughs> Don't go called. anywhere without a flounce. What's a flounce? Flounce is a pocket handkerchief. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of it's a yeah. It's just a, a, a posh word for pocket handkerchief. Right. Really. Silk, probably. Yeah, genuine. Yeah. Held in held in place with a with a with, pin? A, with a with a pin, a tie pin that, a, that a adapted pearl, for it. Yeah, a pearl one. Pearl tie pin. Yeah. Holding it in place. Yeah. And a okay. tie. And a tie. Matching well. tie for the for the flounce. <laughs> So you went they come to, as a set. Does that take a long time then to, to prepare your, your clothing? No. You see, this, is, this, I mean, this sounds slightly bizarre, but no, it, it really doesn't. It looks like it does. It looks like it's almost painful to wear. Some, mm. some people would find it, you know, far too trussed up. But it doesn't. It's, it's second nature that yeah. I, will, I will go out and I'll just put that on, you know. So when did you start... Um, with the whole mod thing, when did you become a mod? Well, I was first a mod when I was about thirteen. When I was at school, uh, and it was just after the mod. The first stage of modernism as a youth culture was sort of late fifties till about six, 1964-65. Okay, that was when it was first in the news, and then it kind of became dandy mods and split up into skinheads and suede heads and rude boys and you know various other factions. Yeah. It's yeah. very you know it's like Palestine all of this. <laughs> And then there was a mod revival in the late 70s, early 80s. And I was 13, so I just missed that mod revival. But friends at school who had older brothers were in it. And, and I just, I, it was very Parker-led, but it was quite sharp and it was quite... What's, sorry, what's a Parker? Because my, my listeners might not... Right, so it's the big green American, they're American army coats from, mm-hmm. the, from the Korean War. The okay. American army Parkers, the green ones, which mods appropriated so that their suits which were worn underneath the parka, wouldn't get dirty from riding their, their scooters. I see, I see. So they're sort of these long green coats with a hood. Yeah. And often they've got, what do you call, a fishtail? Fishtail, fishtail, a long vent. It's a long, a long vent. One a long vent at the parka. back, and it sort of causes this fishtail look at the, at the back yeah. of, uh, of the, yeah. the parka. Yeah. That's a sort of standard um, issue. Well, it was. It, it's become the iconic image of what mod is, but that's... You know, I'm. I've never been down that road. I've got a Parker, but I only use that for mucking out the horses. Right. Frankly, I, I read that your dog urinated all over yeah, it. It was a very. It was a rocker. The dog was a rocker, and <laughs> it was. That was really bizarre. We only didn't have this dog long. It was, my wife was an estate agent in France, and a client sadly wasn't very well, and 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 said, "Well, nobody can look after my dog," so we took mm. the dog on. But my wife made the mistake of, of bringing the dog home when I was away. So when I came back after a few days, the dog just had no respect for me whatsoever. Or mods in general. Or, just anything, just like sneering at what I was wearing. Yeah. And he, it was like Lassie. He, we were in the garden and he, and he was kind of beckoning me to follow him. And I followed him and he, and he led me into what I call, laughingly call the workshop area, where my parker was over the back of a chair and he just led me into this workshop area and looked at me looked at the park and just urinated on the park <laughs> while looking me directly in the eye it was a real act of you know Defiance. insubordination yeah. yeah yeah clearly yeah, yeah. but I don't, don't so I don't wear a lot of parkers because I don't ride scooters so okay. I'm not a scooter mod I'm okay. purely a, a suit mod. There's a, you're the street, a street mod. <laughs> a walking mod. Right. Yeah. There's different types of mod. There's lots of different types of mods. And it gets very nuanced and then people think that you have to be a specific kind of mod. And it's, uh, you know, when you reach mid-40s, which I am, a mod is, you then just you answer these people by just saying, look, it's a state of mind, you know. State of mind. There are yeah. some rules. There are some rules that everybody has to adhere by, which is if you wear a Fred Perry shirt must have the top button done up. Really? You must have the top button done up, or, you know, you'll be kicked out of the movement. <laughs> we, were, we were on holiday a couple of years ago. It's, it's genuinely true. We were, on a, we were on a beach in Monte Carlo, and the, the five of us, and my wife and three sons, and my middle son, Morris, came running up to me, and he, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, there's a man over there with a Fred Perry, and his top button's undone. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what did you do? Did you do anything about it? Well, he was huge, and I just well, you go and have a word with him, son, and uh, we'll take it from there. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, so what? Just uh, still with the mod thing. Yeah. What, just give me like the description of the typical mod uh, outfit. Well, there isn't. It's always sharp. Y- yeah. You have to look sharp. You have to look dapper. This mm. is the thing, and I. So I was when I was a mod at thirteen. 
I've always I was always dressed smartly, not necessarily after that, not necessarily in a mod way, but always dressed smartly. And, yeah. and when I first started doing stand up, it was always it was always a suit, even you know when I first started. Yeah, and then in a, in about two thousand one, two thousand two, I had a quite a bad depression, I, and and was in a pretty bad way. Mm. And I needed I needed some kind of identity. I needed some kind of boundaries. I needed something that I don't know. That kind of that kind of said who I was and and gave me something to to, to hold on to. Really, mm. some people go for religion, obviously, in, in that in that respect. Yeah, and I yeah. went back to being a mod. I went back to those kind of rules and those kind of that kind of attitude, and it just helped enormously. It mm. really helped enormously. Really, yeah, That's it's interesting. Just it, having sort of a code. Uh, yeah, exactly that, a code. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not... Uh, I was evangelical about it, but I'm not as evangelical about yeah, it as it yeah. used to be. I mean, Paul Weller describes it as a religion. It's not... Yeah. We haven't yet caused any wars, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, So, no. you know, I don't think it's a religion. Uh, I, but it is It is a kind of state of mind. And, it, and if you know, I've taken it quite seriously in my... In my time, because yeah. it's helped. It's helped. Yeah, I mean, I I like the mod style. I think it's probably like the coolest style that we've produced in the UK. Yes, I can't think of. I mean, we've we've come up with a few different things. You know, certainly all these different subcultures. We've come up with a few different styles. I mean, you can sort of trace it in a line from Edwardian. You know, the Ted, yeah. the Teddy yeah. Boy look, yeah. the sort of long Edwardian coats and stuff yes. like that, through to. I guess mod would be mod, next. Mod would be shortly after the Teddy Boys. The, the, is it true that the mods were influenced also by uh, sort of Jamaican youths who'd, who'd yeah, come? Yeah, the Rude Boys. And, and yeah, and this is again, this is part of why I like mods in that it was. They were the first culture to embrace black music and black yeah, people yeah, and, yeah. And, and mix properly rather than sort of see them as a different part of society and be apart from them if you see what right, i mean right right so that again that's why that's why i liked it it's a state of mind it's a it's an inclusive thing in many ways i read that book uh by i can't even remember his name now he's now a dj on the radio and he was uh uh really into clothes all the way through all these periods the way we wore that's the one robert elms robert elms the way we wore which yeah. is a brilliant sort of it's very good history of all of these different styles and things like that and um so I guess, yeah, uh, what I read in that book is that uh, mods were influenced by a lot of the Jamaican young people who'd come over from Jamaica like over the last sort of 10, 20 years. And they were going around wearing these certain styles, like these sort of Clark's Originals, Desert Boots and yeah. and things like that. And uh, um, that they were an influence on... Sort they of were an influence. I, I, I think slightly less so yeah. in clothing and more yeah. in music, right. I would say. And also then you come into the... You come into whether they are mods or rude boys, and rude boys would be a, a very definite more Jamaican influence than on style than on mods, okay. I would say. And the rude boys would be more specifically into Jamaican music? But Scar and stuff like that, yeah. yes. Okay, and whereas yeah. the mods are into the R&B from the United Yeah, but States. Scar as well, but yeah, yeah. but more so. I, was, I would divide it. I'm not entirely sure about rude boys, but I think rude boys are more Jamaican-led than than mods, okay. for instance, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. It all gets um, very messy if you get into different factions. Oh, yeah. It can really upset people. It's really? <laughs> I, I grew a beard over the summer. I just, you know what? It was hot. I have sensitive skin. I didn't fancy shaving for a couple of months. So I grew a beard. And then the picture of my beard was on social media. And the brickbats and insults I've had from the mod community. Really? How I've let people down, frankly. <laughs> it's just bizarre. You've let us down. You've let the mod community down. More so, you've let yourself down. <laughs> <laughs> so mods can't have beards. No, it's like Disneyland. No, you can't. You can't have exactly like Disneyland. There's a height restriction on every ride. <laughs> um, all right. So I was saying that I thought mod was kind of the coolest one, and uh, I mean, I you know, I I uh, I've got like a Ben Sherman um, yeah. uh, polo shirt and stuff, which I yeah. almost wore today. Right. I'm glad I didn't because I, I wasn't going to wear the uh, top button. Yeah, I wouldn't I? have stayed. No. I wouldn't have you'd, have, you'd have seen that and turned. Do you know this is this thing? I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend who said that he's he's stopped wearing Fred Perry's for the summer because it's too hot. So he's wearing Lacoste polo shirts because the top button law isn't quite as strict with a Lacoste, <laughs> <laughs> so he can have the top button undone. Can a mod? This wear is how petty it's got. Yeah, I see. 
Can a mod wear Lacoste? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, is yeah, it? yeah. That's on. It's yeah. It's okay. part of the part. It's on the list. But obviously, a mod would never wear uh, Nike. Not really. No, no. I don't. I mean, I don't think personally. I don't think leisure wear should be worn outside of a leisure situation. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't own any trainers or anything like that. No. No. Really, not even any sort of Fred Perry sort of old school looking trainers. I have got a pair of Fred Perry old school looking trainers, but since I gave up any kind of physical exercise, I haven't worn them. They're yeah. now in a glass case in my office. <laughs> okay um, so Nike not really Adidas well no, again it's, no it's, it's, it's all part of leisure wear you know and the, I think that so you you list in the subcultures there and if you, if you go through it's so a mod and then you've got sort of glam and punk and then new wave and new romantics and all of that yeah. and then it all just kind of gets really mushy doesn't it because yeah. everybody just starts wearing trainers and and tracksuit bottoms or trousers with, with an elasticated waist and leisure wear and it's just it's just everybody's dressing like they're they're going to the gym and very few people clearly yeah. are i guess they called it what casual oh you see you can't be casual i don't i'm not having that because casual was exactly what you're describing casual yeah and casual there was a, another cut there were the casuals of the sort of mid 80s which were the white soul boys but that kind of just was hooliganism yeah that was just going to football with a, you know, Sergio Tashini shirt on yeah. and, a, you know, a Chevignon Cagall and having a fight. Okay. But then that sort of became the mainstream style. I think rave was partly to do with that, wasn't it? Because it was all about wearing baggy, loose-fitting clothing. Yeah, you see, I don't, I don't hold at all that. No. Clothes shouldn't be comfortable. <laughs> they should be restrictive. They should be, should be saying something, not like you've given up. <laughs> right. So I still need you to take us through... A typical mod outfit. I know you've said that it's it, there's a, a lot of variety in there, but so um, you know from the feet upwards, what would what would you wear on a typical day if you were going to let's say a mod convention? Oh I don't, I don't man, know if, a mod convention! Do, oh, do, the do, bitchiness that would be at a mod convention. Do mod conventions exist? Yes, man, alive! I I um I there was there was a quadrophenia event at the start of this year. Quadrophenia. It was a quadrophenia was a uh, it was a film made in 1970. Eight, uh-huh. seventy-nine, yeah, and it was about a young mod set in the nineteen sixties. Um, Quadrophenia was uh, a rock opera from the Who, Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, and it was about a very mixed-up mod who Quadrophenia means is, is schizophrenia but doubled, right? So it's a very mixed-up kid, yeah. Okay, and there was an event at the start of the year which was held at the Hammersmith Apollo. So you know, two thousand people, full of full of old mods who, yeah. frankly, couldn't get in a suit if they made them that size. They, you know, these were practically <laughs> there were some very big lads there <laughs> who would not be on a scooter, put it that way. Right. And that was that was quite that was a mod convention, and people get you know, there's a lot of admiration. This is the thing: if you see another mod in the street, it's a bit like if you own a VW camper van. You know, as they always wave to each other yeah. on the motorways they pass. Yeah. Well, if you if you mod if you pass a mod on the street, you just kind of look each other up and down and go, "Nice one." All right. Yeah, that's yeah. what Paul Weller did to me once. I was going to ask you. I, I was going to say to you. I bet you know people like Paul Weller. Yeah, I don't know Paul Weller. I, I we have mutual friends and 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 stuff. Uh, yeah, we, there is a kind of mod circle. The higher brand of the guardians of the flame. <laughs> right. You've got a secret handshake? Oh, you, you, yeah. And, you know, see, the whole lot, and we all meet up, you know, in, in a cave somewhere, a really nice cave right, that's yeah. done out really well. Yeah. Uh, but there are, yeah, there are top mods, and it's it, Martin Freeman would be another one. Right. Martin Freeman, the actor from uh, Sherlock. Uh, yeah, and, and The Hobbit and, and all of that business. I. I'm, I know Martin vaguely because you know these, these things happen in the mod circles. Yeah, and I bumped into him and a mutual friend of ours, Mark, in Soho. Um, oh, uh, is that on, Bar Italia actually? Not on Carnaby Street. No, no, <laughs> Carnaby Street. That's so so passe. Really, you know, Carnaby Street is a dreadful place. It's, it's just a tourist trap now. It's not. It's not what it was in the, in the sixties. Not that I was there in the sixties, but it was. It used to be where a lot of the cool people hung out in the sixties, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's where the small faces who were the sort of the archetypal mod band, their first management was above the Puma shop. Oh, yeah. On, uh, on Carnaby Street. It wasn't the Puma shop then, probably. No. It was probably some dodgy little <laughs> sort of sweatshop. <coughs> they would have been banging out suits. 
right. ten to a dozen. Yeah, yeah. So I bumped into Martin, and and we were, we were in Baratale, and he knows I've moved to to France, and he's he's just moved to the country, and we genuinely had a conversation of. So where do we stand with Wellington boots? <laughs> Are we allowed Wellington boots? How, how, do we, how do we go with the Wellington boot thing? And you have to seriously consider these things yeah. as a mod, you know. And what's the solution? Well, with I think in the end of the day, you have no choice. You know, you can't... Archetypal mod shoes, ignoring the kind of mod revival, because that all went bowling shoes and, and jam Gibsons and stuff like that, which are, you know, that's very much a uniform rather than... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know rather than genuine modernism, I think. It's, more, it's what we call mod tourism, all the targets and stuff. Okay. So if you've got your brogues or your your Basswegian penny loafers, a classic, classic mod shoe, or a Chelsea boot, you know. Chelsea boots, the Basswegian penny loafer. Yeah, Basswegian is Baswegian. a is a, an American company that made the penny loafer. Again, it's something that, that has been hijacked by the mods from another culture. The Americans kind of... Um, I'm trying to think of the word. It's kind of jock... Look that they have, right? You know, but the yeah. Baswegians are. If you're going to have a penny loafer, it's got to be a, pe- a Baswegian. Are those the ones with the very thick soles? No, they're not. Not not terribly thick. No, just ordinary penny okay. loafer. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's what you got on your feet then. Yeah. Uh, pair of Chelsea boots or these penny loafers. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, or I've got I've got these on now. These are these are Lokes kind of brogues. Brogues with a with a buckle. Yeah. Over the top, black brogues with a yeah. bus- buckle over the top. You're wearing some. Uh, some fancy looking socks. Argyle socks. Argyle socks with the triangle pattern. Yeah. Okay. Um, black stay pressed. Black stay pressed uh, trousers. Yeah. And, and a Henley. And a what? This Henley. Is, this is a Henley. Yeah. A, a Henley. A Henley. Oh. It's, it's basically a Henley is a three button t shirt or long sleeve t shirt because okay. it's very hot. Yeah. I was going to ask you does sort of being a mod. Uh, and living in the hot French countryside, does that work? I mean, how is that well, compatible? Well, you have to not go out. <laughs> you, 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 you can't go out. You can't compromise. This is the thing. I mean, I yeah. arrived in Paris last night, and it wasn't. It must have been forty degree heat yeah, yesterday yeah, it evening. Was boiling, yeah. And I was going to this soiree, and um, and I like walking around cities. I, I just I get I I don't know Paris as well as I should. So I, whenever I come here now, I try and walk as much as I can just so I can get. So I walked, and I think it was two kilometres from where my hotel is to where this this do was last okay. night. And I was, you know, I had a sporting jacket on, I had a white shirt and a black tie, and you know, I well, I left the hotel looking what I think is pretty bloody marvellous, right? <laughs> I I thought about this outfit, and it, it looked all right. It's not a bad look for it's Paris as well because if you if you walk around and you're very well dressed in this city, then doors will be open. Yes, I found that. I found that, and I know I, you know this is what we mods call is what we, we peacock. This is what we do. We we peacock, and I was peacocking around Paris. How, last how night. do you peacock? Well, you kind of strut. You kind of not. I'm not talking a John Travolta grease type strut because that looks like you've got spina bifida <laughs> but you, you just kind of you know you walk and you, you walk confidently and you're, you're looking you're looking alright by the time I'd arrived at the British Embassy last I looked like a used tea bag <laughs> I was drenched <laughs> just I don't you know and you feel a little sticky and yeah no, it's a very difficult thing to so address in that kind of heat. Isn't there ever a time when you think, especially when it's hot, when you think, oh, forget all this, I'll just go out in a pair of shorts and a no. T-shirt? No. Do mods wear shorts? Well, I've got shorts, you know. I mean, you, yes, I've got, I've got a nice pair of shorts. and But, you, again, you've got to make it work. You can't just stick on some shorts and a football top and no. some flip-flops. No. No, it's, uh, it's decent knee-length shorts. Put, that's a good time for you Basswegian penny loafers because they look good with some shorts. And then a nice, you know, a nice Henley or a Fred Perry. Okay, all right. So that this is what you're wearing at the moment, the Henley, the, the Stay Press yeah. and all that stuff. But uh, to the mod convention where you're right. making an effort, yeah. what, what would you wear to that? Well, with this, uh, specifically what I wore at the um, Quadrophenia thing was I had a grey 60s cut, 60s Italian cut suit, which was double vent at the back. And there, it was sort of a charcoal grey. The buttons were cloth-covered buttons. Okay, so that it looks very, very sharp. I had on. Do you know what? I really up the ante for that. I remember yeah. that now. I had on these loafers, and I've had these loafers nearly twenty years. Mm. They're Ben Sherman loafers, but I found them in a sale in Birmingham when I was working up there once, and they are just ordinary loafers, yeah. but they are black and white two-tone basket weave. 
Ooh, and yeah, they yeah. just look magnificent. And I'd been very clever because I'd bought a matching tie and flounce, black and white dog tooth. <laughs> and <laughs> don't laugh at me. Sorry. And, <laughs> and I had it, and it just it looked the business, you know. Because you really you have to, you know, in that in that kind of situation, you have to. It's a bit like the film itself. Sting is in the film, mm. and he's like plays what they call the ace face. The ace face is like a top mod. That's how you, you describe it. You have to if you're if I'm commanding a, a, the Hammersmith Apollo with two thousand mods in there, I've got to look like I know what I'm doing. Did you go up on stage for the quadrophenia oh, yeah. thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was hosting the whole event. Oh, were you really? Yeah, I was hosting it, and so it was you know quite pressured. And um, and it was also they had all the cast there, and I was interviewing the cast oh, in front of everybody else as well. After they, what happened was that it was a kind of live live event, in that they were they'd set up these vignettes where they'd act out part of the film, right, which right. which I don't think any of these two thousand mods knew was happening. Right, so I I went on stage at the start of the event, and said, well, welcome everybody. This is what's happening. And then after a couple of minutes, what's supposed to happen is the police come onto the stage and tell me to get off, right? Okay. So the police came on the stage and told me to get off. The, these 2,000 mods weren't aware that this was, <laughs> this, this was some kind of vignette. And they started swearing at these poor lads who were just playing policemen. <laughs> and I had to go back on stage. Look, this is actually, this is, we're just making this bit up, all right? Calm down. <laughs> Let's watch the film and talk again afterwards. But yeah, it was quite it was quite an event. Oh, that's great. Quite an event. Yeah, did you do stand up for that? I did do stand up because at the end of the interview thing, the director who was in the wings of the Hammersmith Apollo just shouted sort of whispered out to me, going, We're too early. We've got ten minutes. Film for ten minutes. And you were like, Don't worry <laughs> I can handle this. And so yeah, I did like ten minutes worth of stand up just to sort of keep people settled and in the room mm. before they then had who's got the best mod outfit competition <laughs> really yeah in the whole of the, whole, the, of the uh, whole audience yeah and who whole. won this this uh, who won was uh, it's actually an original mod he's, he was almost 70 years old okay. and he'd come up from Essex him and his wife and he looked magnificent he was rare for that night in that he was svelte still a mod shape kitten hips slim yeah and he looked amazing. He had this. He had this two-tone tonic suit on, and a matching shirt and tie with a flounce. It just, you know, that's yeah. how I want to go. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, brilliant. So, okay, we talked about being a mod and all that sort of thing. We started talking about how being a mod sort of uh, 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 is compatible or not with life on the continent. But I think it's compatible depending on where you go. Yeah. I mean, I do. You know, I live in very rural France. You live basically on a farm, don't I you? I do live, but yeah, we are on a on a kind of little farm, and which is fine. You know, once you're in the environs of your own house, you can dress how you want. This is, yeah. this is freedom of expression and all yeah. that. Yeah. But when you turn up the school gates in your Edwardian frock coat <laughs> in rural France, tongues wag. What do the locals make of your style? Then? Well, they call me Monsieur So British. Yeah, because you're, you're so British. Because I am so British and I'm a monsieur, you know. Right. I'd be upset if they called me Madame So British. That would be weird. <laughs> um, but so they call you Monsieur So British. They talk about you behind your back. Probably. But generally... I like to think they're saying, where could I get one of those jackets? Yeah. Yeah. Not what the hell do you think he's wearing. They respect a well-dressed person in this I think country. they do. I think yeah. they do. And it, the, again, it's the very British style is really big in France at the moment, yeah, isn't it? Is, it's isn't it? slightly yeah. bizarre after yeah. the Brexit thing and people nervous about seeing a Union flag anywhere. It, does it mean that they are British or they just want to leave everywhere? And, you know, they're sli- yeah. they're slightly n- British people, I think, are slightly nervous of that. Mm. But in France at the moment, it's just everywhere. It's on jumpers and bags. And we had last summer, in our local little farmer's market thing where we are, there was a stand, a whole stand devoted to the Union Jack. Yeah. So this whole, you know, like you've got your fresh fruit, your fish, Union Jack. And it, the ashtrays, bags, jumpers, belt buckles, shoes, the whole lot. And it just, it looked like UKIP had moved in. <laughs> it was such a bizarre sight. Yeah. Well, I was talking to this, talking to my wife about this the other day that... Uh, the Union Jack is a pillow, isn't it? Mm. Like you see Union Jack pillows, but yep. I don't think I've ever seen a pillow with another flag on it. So it's always maybe the American flag, 
Probably some guy yeah. in California's got an American. I think flag pillow. I think you have to have the American flag right. on your pillow in America if you live in Malibu. or it's something. It's bizarre. It's almost like people have disassociated the flag with the country and gone. This isn't actually a flag. This is just a really smart design. Yeah, it which, is. A which good feels design. Odd. it is. It's a fantastic design. I mean, I don't know how much long it's going to last. Cause, I know because if Scot, you know, if the UK breaks up, then that flag is redundant. Yeah, Scotland will leave probably. So you lose a bit of the blue. Yeah. We'd we'll just be left with the cross of St. George, which has, you know, other connotations. Exactly. As does Fred Perry, funnily enough. Does it? I didn't realise this. My son, who is heavily into Fred Perry now, he's 15, and he was saying that Fred Perry is quite often regarded as a racist thing in, in, France. in France because yeah. it's very much associated with skinheads and, you know, oh. and violence. I see. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. So okay. I bought him more and just sent him out. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's a very interesting Good. Right, here's a hundred pounds. Go and buy go and buy as many Fred Perry things as you can. Um, are you are you right? You're getting sun there. No, do you want fine, me to? Fine. Yeah, no, okay. Because we do have this canopy. This no, canopy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The view. Yeah, very lucky. So that's the end of part one of this conversation, in which we mainly covered mod culture. Um, Check out the page for this episode where you will find some videos of mod-related things uh, and also some stand-up footage of Ian Moore on stage. And if you'd like to know what those mod styles look like, then just check out the page for this episode. You'll see some uh, videos or photos there where you can kind of have a look at, uh, at what mod clothing looks like. So how was that for you, that conversation? How was it for you, ladies and gents? Are you okay out there in podcast land? Everyone all right? Did you manage to understand what we were saying? Um, I expect it might be a bit tough because we're talking about things that you might never have heard about before. In fact, that's one of the main reasons why it's hard to understand native speakers sometimes. Now, there's a few reasons why it might be difficult to understand native speakers when you listen to them. For example, it might be because of the pronunciation, specifically aspects of connected speech, which make it sound like all the words are joined together. And also the way that some sounds are not fully pronounced. It might be the vocabulary being used. There might, might just be new words that you don't know in there. But also, it's, it may be because of the cultural references being made and also the general mindset of the conversation. Now, all those things are factors that influence your ability to understand native speakers. Certainly, the cultural aspect is very important. If you're on the same wavelength as the people that you're listening to or talking to, then it makes it far more likely that you'll be understood and that you will understand them, you know? And and getting on the same wavelength is really important uh, because this will help you to sort of get the general context and it will help you to work out the meaning of new words that you don't know and it will help you to fill in the words that you didn't hear. Um, So you have to try to tune in to not just the language but to the whole culture, the way of thinking of the people talking. And then you'll find that you can understand a lot more and that ultimately you can pick up a lot more of the English yourself. So listening to conversations like this is vital, even if it is difficult. So I suggest that uh, if you feel downhearted, if you didn't understand everything, don't worry, you could try listening again. Uh, or just, um, you know, take a positive approach to listening to the next conversation that I play you on this podcast. Don't forget that also you have to activate the English that you hear in the podcast by having similar conversations yourselves, perhaps with a language partner on italki, for example. And I mention italki just because it's a really convenient way for you to get in touch with native speakers and talk directly to them from the comfort of your own home. So don't forget to take advantage of my italki offer by visiting teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk. Okay? Right, so part two of this episode will be available soon. And then you can hear Ian talking about his funny experiences of being a mod in the French countryside, dealing with animals of all shapes and sizes, the challenges of living on a farm and the life of a professional stand-up comedian. Thank you for listening to this episode and I look forward to reading comments on the website and all that kind of thing. Uh, Have a fantastic day, morning, afternoon, evening or night and I will speak to you very, 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 very soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye.
Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.